All right, welcome everybody. It's the locker room on a Tom Petty Thursday. And today, you know, it's 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 great because you know what? The locker room is always moving around the country, apparently, because Max, right now, my my partner, my gumpadre, my wingman, uh, I'm part of the locker room. He's in Hyannisport, Massachusetts. He is there for the uh, Kennedy, it's a Kennedy golfing outing as a fundraiser. And uh, right now we are efforting Max, and Max is trying to get on the air. And I don't know exactly all that's unfolding as we're speaking here. But right now today, I know on this Tom Petty Thursday, as I said, we've got uh, Tom Bradley checking in today. We also have Jerry Dulac. Um, so there's a number of, of good guests hanging around, and the number is 412-919-1316. You are in the locker room. And again, uh, we are moving along here. And according to... Pro Football Focus, Cam Hayward is the number one ranked defender in the NFL. I mean, the number one. Think about it. With a rating of 91.9. I find it rather amazing because, you know, you think about it. You think, you know, there's the Aaron Donald out there in L.A. And there's a great number of guys around. So, Max, are you there now, my friend? Are you there? Do you hear me, Max? I don't think he hears me yet. No, he's 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 waving me off here. Something's going on with his phone, and uh, so we have some issues there. But so I'm going to just continue along here, and we're going to try to see if we can get the, this bugs these bugs worked out because we do have the ninjas, and the ninjas are a big part of the locker room. And if the ninjas can work anything out, they will get it worked out, and I'm confident of that. So going back to Cam Hayward, one of the things I've loved about Cam Hayward's watching this dude since he came to the Steelers over a decade ago. I mean, this guy here, though he's, he's uh, you know, he's getting to be a seasoned veteran. Uh, this guy came to the Steelers, and I remember watching him as he fought with every offensive lineman in the first week of training camp. I mean, it was just, he was just a feisty guy that uh, didn't have much, his technique was not all that great. And I remember at one point in time, I think it was his, maybe lateness, uh, maybe it was his second year early on. I remember when DMR, when the ambassador walked in and he said, you know, what's going on with our number one draft pick from last year? And I remember thinking to myself, you know, Cam is one of these guys, he's, he's feisty, you know, he's strong, he can run, he's powerful, but he was undisciplined, you know. But he, much like a guy that, uh, you know, became a, a hero to him, the great uh, Joe Green, Joe Green was a mentor in, in many ways to Cam Hayward, at least in, in, in point of encouraging him and being a role model for Joe, I mean, for Cam. I think about it because when I came to the Steelers, you know, Joe was uh, had already passed through his wild and woolly stage. Early on, you know, Joe was um, one of those guys that was a little bit undisciplined. He, too, fought just about every offensive lineman in training camp. Uh, when he first got to the Steelers, um, he too was rather undisciplined. I remember when I asked, uh, I asked Joe one time when we were interviewing Chaluch and I were had him on our radio show up at training camp, and I said, Joe, I said, when when did when did Chuck first sit on you? When did you first you know when did you first find that discipline that Coach Noel would hand out? When did he first really grab you? And it was uh, two or three years into his career when he said. Um, I'll never forget, he said, I was walking from uh, the dining hall up at training camp to the locker room, and I wanted to pick up my shoulder pads. 
He said, because, you know, the afternoon session and everything, we already had the morning session because um, back then we had two days, which these guys don't have nowadays. And he said, I picked up my shoulder. I wanted to pick up my shoulder pads, helmet and everything. I can get dressed in my room instead of having come back down before the second session of the afternoon. You can just take a nap and then be able to go walk right down to the meeting room, uh, which was right next to the dorm, instead of walking, you know, several hundred yards back and forth and so forth. Save your legs, because believe you me, you needed to save your legs back in the day. So Joe would, was going down to the locker room. The door was locked, and he got a little honked off, and he reared back, and he just kicked the door in. Then he went in and got his pads and walked up to the room, and he laid down. And he said uh, probably five minutes or so later, there was a knock on the door, and he opened the door, and it was Chuck Nolan. Coach Noel looked at him and said, Joe, that'll be 500 bucks." And he just left. And Joe said that was the first time that somebody had really sat on him as a player and gave him that, that, that sense of you have to discipline yourself because discipline is a big part of professional football. You can't be a renegade. You can't be a one-man uh, loose cannon out there. You have to be able to make sure that you're part of the overall defense and you have to discipline your efforts into the roles that we set out for you. Well, I would say that Cam Hayward over the course of his career has really – really done the same thing. I mean, you take a look at it right now in pro football focus, he's ranked, as I said, the number one guy at 91.9. No, now he's got 27 tackles, 14 solo, 13 assists. He's got one sack uh, and he's got uh, one forced fumble, but he's got six, uh, six PBUs, six pass breakups. You know, that's pretty much outstanding stuff there. You know, the thing about it is, uh, you consider right now Cam has done this largely without, uh, you know, a real threat next to him. You know, I mean, one of the things you want to have is complementary tackles on the inside there. You know, Joe Green had Ernie Holmes. You know, Joe Green was also benefited by the fact that there was another intimidating, tough guy in the trenches with him that could really complement Joe's style of play. And so you couldn't key on him. And one of the things that, that for Cam would be to have Stefan to it. I mean, Stefan Tuitt, he had 11 sacks last year. Think about that. An 11 sacker, a double-digit sacker on the inside, that's, that's tremendous. And what those two could have done together and the implications of what this could have been, you know, with a healthy Stefan Tuitt lining up with him would, would, would have been, I think, just huge. You know, I mean, that's why I, I so respect where Cam has come from and disciplining himself from the guy that was – trying to wipe the floor with every offensive lineman and cap to a guy that is now an encourager and a motivator and a senior member of the defense who has risen in his position, not just as a player, but as a guy who, you know, guys rally around him. There's something about, and it's, it's hard to explain unless you're in the room with guys like this and you see this sort of uh, leader emerge, you know, but there are guys that just, because of their stature and because of their play and the way that they've they've uh, gone about their business, they simply just come. They blossom as leaders, and uh, you know, and you can tell because guys, you know, they they do rally around you. I remember watching practice one day, and Mike Tomlin was was saying, "All right, Cam, let's go get you guys around you." You know, what I mean, it was just get around Cam and rally to the ball and and start practice with a lot of enthusiasm a lot of effort you know and the thing is when you look at cam and you think what could have been could have been done thus far this year 
were Stefan Tuitt with them. Because I'll tell you one thing, Stefan Tuitt is a beast. And I think he's one of these guys that um, really com- would compliment Cam Hayward so very much. You know what I mean? Because they're both big, huge physical presence in the middle of that line who they really do a great job. For instance, like Cam, he holds the point so excellently. I've seen him triple teamed and still hold the point. Double teamed is a regular thing for him. You know, it's crazy that you got to uh, double team this guy all the time, uh, an, an enormous amount of time. But that just simply is great because then you know that the guy's got to win their one-on-ones. So if he's able to maintain and, and go and, and win some of those battles, even in a double team, um, you know that other guys are going to be able to win their battles too. Um, you know, the other thing he does so well, he squeezes to the ball. Man, you look at the way he, if you watch him on the backside of a play, he can two-gap, one-gap, what have you, but he can two-gap and come down the line. And you watch him with his lockout. One of the great strengths of his is his great strength, his ability to be able to lock out on an offensive lineman. It's like trying to hold a car from rolling downhill, right? You lock out on that offensive lineman and you get your body lean, but you've got to be able to maintain your gap discipline which means that you've got to keep your shoulders square. You don't want to turn your shoulders because then uh, the offense wins. They become You become a one-dimensional defender, which means they're going to run you on a zone. You can't do that. You've got to be able to stay square, even if you're getting double teamed, and be able to hold that point or on the backside, the cutoff. But the thing is, having the proper body lean and having the strength to lock out and keep guys off your body so that you can disengage and make the play at the appointed time, that would be ginormous. And that's just one of the things that Cam does so well. Hold the point, maintain that gap discipline on the backside, squeeze the ball in a timely fashion. And frankly, nobody in this modern era, because back in the day, a bull rush was, was taught by you put your forehead in a man's chin and you climb the body. You have an under and up leverage. So you uproot the man and you want to drive him back into the quarterback and on pass pro. Well, now they, they don't, that's not taught. Now they work with the, the shoot the hands, fire out, get the one arm stab, create a leverage point that you can uproot a man on. And one of the things that Cam excels is in that leveraging and uprooting of a man. I mean, if you ever wanted to see anything that amazed you more than watching Cam uproot a behemoth of a man, Quentin Nelson, the guard from the Colts. I mean, if you take a look, Quentin Nelson's like 6'5", 330 pounds. It's a huge man. And a couple of years ago when the Steelers played the Colts, you want to talk about weaponizing a man's keister. That's exactly what Cam Hayward did. He came off the ball, locked out in a single arm, lockout, and drove Quentin Nelson backwards at an alarming rate until he finally uh, buried uh, Jacoby Brissett, the quarterback, and weaponized the keister of Quentin Nelson by, by uh, hyperextending, I think it was, or, or banging him into the legs of Jacoby Brissett, who had to leave the game. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. You don't see that uh, very often in today's game. But the technique that, that Cam applies with also his ability to, be, uh, to, to use his, his, his ability to accelerate and run, um, you know, again, just tremendous stuff. I mean, is there a better defender in the NFL than Cam Hayward? I, I can't see it. I've got all the respect in the world for Aaron Donald. I think he's fabulous. But what Cam means to this defense, 
I think is even pointedly more than what Aaron Donald means maybe to the LA Rams, although it's a tough one. Uh, I, I, you could never, I could never sit there and say that Aaron Donald was not a dominant defensive player in, in his, uh, you know, position with the Rams. But I will say that with Cam, I mean, to see what he does and how he does it and the fact that he's so capable of even doing more, you know, his discipline, you know, you watch his, watch him run, run to the ball. I mean, he runs to the ball all the time, regardless of, you know, what's going on. He runs to the ball and that's a real tip of the cap to the great Johnny, uh, Johnny Mitchell, who's, uh, uh, the assistant head coach, John Mitchell. I uh, such respect for him. You know, the thing about it is John Mitchell is put in the cam as a rookie saying, hey, you know what? This is how it's done, young man. And he put that into him. And now you see Cam leading the way for the other guys. So having said that, we kicked it off. And uh, the number is 412-919-1316. You're in the locker room with Wolf Starks and the Ninjas. Hopefully, we're getting it worked out because I know Max is out in Hyannisport, and we want to hear from Max and see what he's doing with the highfalutin folks out in Hyannisport. We'll be back with more after this. been in this league uh, for an extended period of time now. He's got experience in this system. He's been in Seattle a number of years. He was with the coordinator for the Chargers before he and the coordinator went to Seattle. And so he's got some understanding about how that system of football is built. Uh, he's 31 years old. He's been in this league now a long time. I'd imagine he's in place there because he gives them an opportunity to function in a very similar manner, at least schematically in terms of their personality. And so that's what we're anticipating. Uh, we're, we've got a lot of respect for Gino. We've played against him in the past. Um, we've got a lot of respect for their system of football and, and how they spread the ball around to, to, to a bunch of dangerous eligibles. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Uh, welcome back, everybody. It's Wolf Starks and the Ninjas in the locker room. ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. And welcome now to the locker room. My good friend, the better half of the crew here. He's out there hoi polloi shooting the big time with uh, those in Massachusetts. I believe it's Hyannisport, is it not, my friend? That is correct. I am in Hyannisport, uh, Barnstable County, uh, Massachusetts. Yes, on the Cape. Right, on the Cape, Cape Cod. Okay, so we're, yes. we're, we're kind of living the big hoi polloi life. So let's be a name dropper. Let's go name dropper Thursday, okay? 
Here we go. So you're out there and you're part of a, a, a fundraising opportunity for, I believe yes. it's uh, somebody named RFK. Huh? Yes. Yes. Risk. Risk is the name. No, no. Risk. <laughs> no, it's uh, for the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Organization. Uh, I've been a part of it for about seven years now coming out to this tournament. But uh, I'm now recently the, my third year on their leadership council. Um, so, so you know, I, I come out every year and I get to play golf. I get to play golf uh, with, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of big-name people, raise money for a great cause, and I get to say I'm a part of it. So it, it's, a, it's a pretty, pretty awesome uh, experience. Now, when we were talking about this yesterday, I did happen to hear a couple names that I just, you know, absolutely love. I think uh, one of them happened to be a guy named uh, William, maybe Bill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bill, Bill Murray is usually out here every year because uh, oh. he, golfs, he golfs with Ethel Kennedy. Um, they usually do the ceremonial tee off for our tournament, and then you know, there, there's a couple other ones. There, there's changing faces. Keegan Michael Key. Um, comedian and actor, he, he's he's well known for his Key and Peele, um, you know, sketch comedy they did. But he's he's big time now. He's in all kinds of movies. Um, but uh, yeah, he's out. Sucker <laughs> comes out um, as well. Alonzo Mourning, Martin Sheen. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of a uh, lot of big names that come out for the golf tournament, and even bigger ones that that are there for the uh, for the gala in December. All right, now wait a minute. Alonzo Mourning, the basketball player, correct? Correct. All correct. right. Yes. All right. So he's he's got you by a couple inches. Now, can he outdrive you? Huh? All right. You guys are teeing uh, off 6'8 versus 6'10. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he could outdrive me because that's all he does in Miami. Uh, all he does oh, is oh. Is that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> basketball retirement's a lot different than our football retirement, Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't have to work, we do. <laughs> gotcha. All right. <laughs> well said, my friend. Well said. Well, welcome to the locker room. I'm so glad that you're able to join us. I know we have some technical difficulties that we're kind of debugging, and the ninjas are on the job, and we hope to get it all fleshed out as we move along here. But I'm glad you're here. And, again, uh, kudos to you to participating in something that's benefiting others and appreciate you so very much. So let's kick it off. Well, yeah, and also, Mr. Rooney sent me here before he passed away to be no an kid. ambassador because of the Kennedy Rooney and you know and Mara relationship. Um, Very nice. Families. So he he actually sent myself, Troy, and James Ferrier here seven years ago, and uh, wow. And so and James and James will be here later this afternoon. So James and I have still come pretty consistently over the last seven years we've been invited back very good indeed well carry on you're doing a great job and greatly appreciate it now we did the open okay and, and so i had to fly a little solo i was learning to fly as tom petty was singing right learning to fly a little go, bit yeah. solo there yeah it's 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 always you worry about that because you know i'm one of those guys that always need a fact checker so you also represent the fact-checking part of this duo here in the locker room. But certainly one thing we don't need any fact-checking with is to say that Cam Hayward's a great player. And according to Pro Football Focus, 
they are listing him as the number one defender in the NFL. What what you say about that? Um, absolutely. I mean, I think he leads all D linemen. He probably ranks tenth in the defensive secondary in pass deflections. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> e- e- even out, even out, uh, outflanking JJ Swat, as they used to call JJ back in the day. He has more pass deflections than him. Um, and, and let's just face it: when everything else has gone wrong, Cam has been the one thing that's been right. When you talk about the injuries to the outside linebackers, injuries to the defensive line, you know, the shuffling that has gone on, Cam has been the one steady presence of pressure in the middle. When in doubt, Cam has made that play. And I think that's kind of one of the things when you look at, okay, what does it mean to be ranked number one as a defensive lineman? Well, tackles for loss, (laughs) pressure on the quarterback disrupting opposing offenses, check, check, check. He checks all of the boxes, and he does it from a defensive tackle position. You know, even I think, and he's even more imposing, dare I say it, but we're, but I'm in the confines of friends. He's more dominating than Aaron Donald is on a consistent basis because he's multifaceted. Like Aaron Donald is great, and he is a tremendous pass rusher. And he disrupts right. things in the backfield. But Cam does it not only in the backfield, at the line of scrimmage, downfield, on the ground, and in the air. He's multifaceted on how he attacks you. And, I mean, there was at one point, you know, we considered him unblockable for all intents and purposes because of how he could just absolutely wreck a run game as well as wreck a quarterback's vision in the middle of the field and force guys to throw out routes and throw outside the numbers because he could, he could distort your view just by his mere presence and the way that he rushes. So, I mean, you look at that, and, and there's, no, there's no question that Cam is the number one defensive lineman by pro football folks, and I think in the NFL in general. You know, one of the things that I was – one of the points I was making, too, was – just think and imagine, if you will, how cool it would have been had Stefan Tuitt and his 11 sack abilities from last year been able to line up next to Cam and have at it this far into the season. What a difference that could have made because you know as well as I do, you know, Cam and Stefan is like one plus one equals three, which is pretty much, you know, my math skills as it, in, 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 you know, all in a, you know, in, it's in a jar right there. That's, that's exactly what it is. But you know, Cam is a multiplier of those around him. And then one of the things that I thought Joe Green was always so great about was the fact that he was a multiplier of the men around him. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, your math works well, Wolf, in this situation. <laughs> one plus one does equal three because when you have Cam and Steph, you need three block. You need three blockers to block them. Good point. See, I, I was, I was right is. on and I didn't even know it. You're exactly. my fact checker. <laughs> hey, listen, listen, a broke clock is, tw- is right twice a day. Always remember that. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> this clock does get a little, little need a little tinkering with, I'll say that much. Yes. No doubt about it. But you're right, you know, and that's one of the things that I think is so, you know, you look at it and I think, oh, what could have been to this start? Why a one and three? Well, one and three is a, there's a lot of things that, that come into the, or I'm sorry, the one and three start. 
There's a lot of things that come into it and play into it. And the fact is, not having Steph to it was a big part of the defense, not to mention the things that were happening with TJ, with Alex Highsmith. But everything is exasperated by the fact that we don't have the big two it in there doing some of the things that he's so capable of doing. Well, we don't have him, and we also don't have uh, Tyson Alualu and Chris Wormley rotation as well to go with those two, right? Because that was the kind of the original idea was that you have Cam and Steph, and then you kind of work in Wormley and Alualu would, t- would switch off on each other as, as an older vet. And will you lose Tyson in game two? You don't have Steph at the beginning of the season. And now right. we have two rookies between Bugs and Loudermilk <laughs> rotating in there. And then now Henry Mondo, um, you know, rotating in to kind of fill that support role so that we can get to base Oki because you don't get to base Oki uh, right now with, without, without having those three young guys kind of rotate in and take turns um, at that position because we're down to only two veteran starters on the actual defensive lineman front. Exactly so. Carlos Davis, by the way, a guy that they wanted to be able to bring in for some reps because the guy is explosive. The guy could put some reps in at the nose tackle and some three-technique stuff. He's missed the past four games because of the knee injury, although I believe he was limited in practice yesterday. Maybe that bodes well for the future here coming up. But simply put, right now, we've not had any of the implements that you, all together that you started the season thinking, man, this is a, a defensive line that could be dominant, that could do a lot of damage, that could rush the passer and, and be stalwart against the run. You've not had a lot of these fixtures together. And losing Tyson Alu-Alu at the beginning was really the start of, of things getting going sideways a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it put it, – it knocked you back on your heels not having Steph there, but you still felt good, right? I still had a good guard. I could still defend because I had Tyson. You know, I had Chris Wormley to go along with what Cam was going to do. So I still felt good about that starting three. Well, now you lose Tyson week two, and now you're like, we're a sub front <laughs> until one yep. of the, until the rotation of young guys come in. And then, Oh, by the way, we're also going to lose T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith for two games. You know, ooh, <laughs> so it's like ooh. so now you're now you're back in the corner. And you're just you're just trying to work the rope a dope. Like, please get them <laughs> tired hitting my forearms and my elbows. Do not yeah. give me liver shots. And then we're finally starting to get back to healthy to where we can start charging back to the middle of the ring. I mean, I think that's kind of where we're at. Having a healthy T.J. and knowing how he changes the game. And then, of course, Mel Ingram being healthy and giving us a lot of quality snaps in the place of all those injuries has really helped us, helped substantiate us. And then you brought on Derek Tuska, right? I mean, we had Jameer Jones. We lost Jameer Jones. But, you know, having some guys to at least rotate in, I think, has helped out. And They've got some quality reps to where they've gotten experience when you look at Loudermilk, Bugs, and Mondo. You know, those three guys that you just named, that's interesting. We've got to talk about them, about them some more. All right, from Hyannisport, it's the great Maximus Warren. He's out, he's out there in Hyannisport. Me, I'm back in the Berg, but you've got Wolf Starks and the Ninjas in the locker room. ESPN Pittsburgh, Steelers Nation Radio.
It's about eliminating negativity in our run game so we don't get behind the chains. So it's about not having to unblock people schematically and gaining cohesion to make sure that we can block any look and we're getting better there. Uh, improving in terms of our individual techniques, keeping our hands inside, being able to work and finish, but also doing it in a legal manner. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. And of course, that was Mike Tomlin talking about, uh, you know, the elements that come together for an offensive line and doing the proper things, making sure you get a hat on a hat, blocking cleanly, using your hands on the inside, making sure you don't have those sorts of problems. But we're going to stick with the defensive guys because, Max, at the end of the, the last segment, you brought up a name that really has intrigued me. And actually, all three guys intrigued me because they weren't really really highly, highly thought of going into the season. But a guy named Isaiah Loudermilk, I'm interested to get your, your uh, take on him because I think he's, he's been more productive than I anticipated thus far. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you, you look at what Isaiah Loudermilk has brought. You know, we, he was one of those, I think, fringe guys after the second preseason game when we were calling games. Um, you know, after that Lions game, I believe. Uh, well, no, the Lions game, he actually it looked like he kind of came alive after that Philly game. Mm. Uh, and we're like, okay, all right. Because I remember interviewing Isaiah on the field after the Carolina game. And okay. I just remember just kind of, because he, he, had a, he had a really solid game. He, had to, he played a lot in that right. game. And he had, he, had, he had some pretty good plays. And I just remember, like, okay, this kid's going to – he's got something about him. I was like, I don't know if – you know, I was like, maybe he'll make the 53, but I definitely think he'll be a practice squad guy. And and now, lo and behold, he makes the 53. And then, you know, and then he's contributing. You know, week two, after Tyson goes out in that Raiders game, you know, Isaiah's in there. It's him, Isaiah right. Bugs. They're rotating in. He's he, and he and you know and, and he's playing solidly. You know he's playing young and wild, which we always expect, right? You know because right, like, my emotions are there. It, it, it's like when you let the puppy out the kennel, right? You know after he's been in there for like two hours, he just runs around, runs around, runs around. And I think he's now starting to settle in to where he's really understanding how to how, how to work a three four. You see him a lot better with his technique as he's trying to take on two double teams, right? to cause right. the linebackers. You start to see some of the nuance really kicking in, especially, you know, in that Packers game. He overshot the hole one time, and that's when Aaron Jones kind of cut back and I think had like a 12-yard run. But then mm-hmm. the very, very same series a couple plays later, he was there in the hole, and it forced Aaron Jones to keep it front side. So you can see some of those nuances, you know, where he is a very athletic, strong dude. But it's starting, to, it's starting to slow down for him. And I think that's going to help and bode well as the season progresses, right? Because these are the guys that you have to work with, so you want to see them take steps forward. And I think that Isaiah has been one of those kids that has definitely taken the step forward of becoming a better three technique in a three-four. That's a lot different than a four-three three technique that just blows up right. and just shoots the gaps. He's starting to understand 
the 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 concept, which it always take it always takes time. I mean, you look at Cam, like the Cam that we know today was not the Cam year one coming from Ohio State, right? Right. Cam, Cam year one Ohio State, you know, uh, product. We just called we just we just called we just called him Baby Huey, you know, his first couple years because right. he was just so big and he would get in the way and wouldn't know it. Versus now. Cam is very purposeful. He's very efficient, and he knows what his actions do, not only to the offensive line, but what it does to the backfield when he does something. So he can actually dictate flow. He can divert the river, so to speak, with his actions. And Isaiah's starting to pick that up. He's, he's, still, he's still a rock in the middle of, of a creek, right? You know, he just plops right there, okay. You know, I'm here. Water's going around but me. But he's plopping more with purpose than he did in the beginning. Yeah, but he's learning. He's learning that oh, I can divert, and you start to see him picking it up. And I think that's also another thing with Henry Mondo, right? Because Mondo is a pass rusher. We saw that in the game. I mean, he put a heck of a spin move on on the guard to get to get his first sack. So he has that natural athleticism. But the thing is, you only get so many opportunities being in a down line position in a 3-4 concept to do that because more, more often than not, you're not there to make tackles. You're there to make, make sure that everybody else makes the tackle. You're there to just plug a hole and force the flow where it needs to go. So, Joe right. Herbert, you know, um, Devin Bush, well, we'll see if we have Devin Bush. Robert Spillane, those guys can make the plays. And I think that's, that's a concept that's always tough for a D lineman coming in. You know, talking with Aaron, talking with Kimo, talking with Kiesel and, and Cam and, and Casey Hampton, like talking with all those guys over the years, you know, for me, I wanted to understand what is the mindset of the D lineman in a 3-4 versus a 4-3 because it's a unique concept. It's almost like an offensive lineman in essence. You're not there for the glory. You're there. You're there to make sure everybody else looks good. More often than not, they right. your moments to shine. But for the most part, you're there to let everybody else make the tackles. You're to prevent the holes and determine where they have to go. They don't get door one, two, or three. You make sure they go through door number two because they you've blocked off door one and three. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the point. You know, and I like what you've described with Isaiah. I thought Isaiah. Loudermilk has made some big strikes because he wasn't very noticeable early on, except for plopping around or flailing around. But you watch him now. He's, and I think Carl Dunbar has done a great job of coaching him up and getting the most out of guys like Loudermilk and Bugs and Mondu, you know, uh, getting those three guys going because Loudermilk, you saw in the last game, what a nice job he'd get with his lockout and his extension. It takes a long time for a lot of these college guys to be able to learn to get the, those hands from down on the ground to up to a lockout and being able to control a rolling downhill type of car, such as it is that you've got to catch. That's what a defensive lineman's like when an offensive lineman's coming out at him. You've got to try to get win the battle of your hands inside the shoulder pads, your head's in, inside the frame, and control the man over you. That's a difficult thing. And for Isaiah Loudermilk, he's one of these guys. He reminds me of Aaron Smith. He reminds me of uh, Brett Kiesel. Guys uh, that weren't necessarily ready on day one, but give them a couple years of being around guys like Kimo Von Olhoffen and those guys, uh, being in the weight room with Garrett Guimont and Marcel Pastor 
who I consider two of the finest strength and conditioning coaches in the NFL. Um, those that being uh, available and able to lift and get through off seasons, he puts on the muscle, the strength that he needs, and then it net naturally is, is put into the skill work that he's going to learn from guys like Cam Hayward and the rest of the guys there, Chris Wormley. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's the thing when you have veterans to look at, to model your game after it helps, you know, oh, huge. and, and it, it, it is a tremendous asset when you have that support system around you. I think that's kind of where we look at it and we look on the offensive side of the ball. We don't have that same thing. And I think that's why you see it's taken longer for them to kind of gel and come together. Cause you don't have that, that true veteran that's been in this system that knows it and can guide you along the way. Cam was born in this system. You know, Chris Wormley comes from a very similar system when he was in Baltimore. So you have those that Tyson, when he was here, was that guy that kind of showed them also. Right. You had three examples. And then you also had everybody else who's been a part of the Dick LeBeau system since they've been there. If you were drafted as a Steeler, you know, ever since, what, 2003, you, 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 you know what it is. <laughs> and yes, indeed. It, it hasn't changed that much. Whereas the offense, we've gone through some different iterations to become this offense that we are today, different coordinators. I mean, you look at just from last year to this year, Randy Finkner to Matt Canada. And then before that, you had Todd Haley. And then before that, you had B.A. Then before that, you had Ken Wisenhunt. On and on and on. Malarkey. I mean, we've had a lot of change where the defense has been pretty consistent on what, who they are and what they do. So they, they have a lot of nuance built in there because you have veterans teaching the young guys how, how to play. Exactly so. And I think one of the guys that's going to be key is the development of Isaiah Bugs. You know, Isaiah Bugs, is, he's an interesting guy. You know, I mean, he's, he's a very powerful, built leverage type guy. Um, what he hasn't shown me is that the same ability to get the lockout like, um, like Tyson used to. One of the things that set Tyson, uh, at, to me, he played the nose tackle like a three technique. You know what I mean? He was so good with his hands. He could pass rush like a three technique. He could run stop like the proverbial nose tackle. But his playing style was equal to that of being a very agile three technique guy right in the middle. You don't see many of those mastodons playing over the center anymore. You don't see many of the Ted Washingtons back in the day, the 400-pounders those type of guys, the big cheddar eaters. But you certainly, you look at a guy like Tyson, he was a very skilled nose tackle. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's the other thing. You don't see those guys because they don't come out day one being that. I mean, I think the closest one that was, I mean, he still had to grow into it, was Casey Hampton. Like, it took Hamp two, three years before he became that dominating guy. The Jamal right. Williams of the world, like you said, Ted Washington um, types. Like, those guys are very tough to find. The Vince Wilforks, you know, like those guys, it takes them a little bit of time to develop that because, once again, colleges aren't really running a true 3-4. They're running a 3-3 right. and they're still penetrating, whereas if you learn the base concepts of a 3-4, it's about absorbing and taking on double teams and making sure that you hold a gap and you control that gap so that guys don't come to it and they go to the other open gaps where your linebackers are. 
Beautifully. Beautifully put, my friend. Good job. All right. Get ready for your golfing game this afternoon, but we still got one more hour, so don't go anywhere yet. All right, for Max Starks, it's Craig Wolfley and the Ninjas. We are, we'll be right back in with the second hour right here in the locker room. 